Please pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I am somebody who likes making lists. I like writing things down and crossing them off. It's a source of great satisfaction for me. When I gather myself in the morning, even before I get ready for the rest of the day, I often find that the list is already taking shape in my mind. And there's something about lists and what they do to time. They certainly keep us organized. They help us be more productive and efficient. And on the other hand, the way that a list, as it were, packages things up neatly to be done, to make them more manageable, to keep them enclosed until they're finished, it can make time feel like it's a losing battle. After all, there are always more things to be added to the list. There's always more to be done. There's a sense that time that we have is not enough. It's slipping through our hands. And so I want to suggest to you that prayer gives us something different. It's a, tr it's a tradition for many Christians to read the Psalms in the morning and at the end of the day. The Psalms, the prayer book of the Bible, one of the Psalms of the morning opens with the line, Come, let us sing to the Lord, let us shout to the rock of our salvation. And that then becomes the very first thought for the day. Let us sing to the rock of our salvation. There isn't already a struggle against time. Time is already a flow. Because that line about the rock of salvation, what that remembers is the scene in the Exodus when Moses, looking around and seeing no source of water, calls upon God, and God instructs Moses to strike the rock, and water flows in the desert. Time with God is already a gracious flow. It's that scene, then, in prayer, that reminds us that this day, too, will flow with the grace of God. And then we bring our, our hearts in trust of God to what we have on our list. And it shapes the rest of what will happen. Today is also Pride Sunday. Our church recognizes that we have an open and affirming and welcoming stance toward members of our congregation, their families, and of our community who are lesbian, gay, bisexual, trans, and queer. It's a list. And the list, of course, can go on. Those are the most well-known identities that I just named. But sometimes making a list and organizing identities into categories and boxes, compartmentalizing them up, sometimes it doesn't work for some people. And the nuance, the complexity, the flow of how they feel their life in their body is not quite lined up in any one of those categories. And for many people, that's why the word queer, the Q in LGBTQ, has become so important. It's more than a catch-all for all the identities. It becomes a word that means the questioning of the boundaries and the list 
itself. Um, and I acknowledge that for many, the word queer still has a lot of baggage as it has been used as a slur. And this creates a challenge intergenerationally for talking about LGBT identities and bodies and experience. But the word queer is increasingly becoming reclaimed, even in theology, even in church, and, of course, in popular culture. Most, most famously now through the series Queer Eye. And here, I have to admit, I'm rather slow to catching up with the party. Troy, my fiancé, and I, as soon as we heard that the latest episode in the series of Queer Eye featured a gay pastor and his church both getting a makeover, suddenly it became for us top-of-the-list must-watch television. And in case you're not familiar with this series, the premise of, it, of each episode is relatively simple. It begins usually with someone struggling in the way in which their life is going. Someone seeking to regain their sense of confidence and to actualize their potential. And so alongside this person arrive five fabulous queer men who enter into all the spaces of their life. They will go through the clothing and the wardrobe and in the closet. They will rummage through the kitchen. They will see what's on the bookshelf. They will go to where they work and where they live their life at home, and they will give suggestions and make, make inquiries. They'll ask questions, and they'll invite the person to try on new things. And may, maybe it seems like it's mostly a matter of clothes and style and grooming, but with attention to those aspects of daily life, something deeper is often discovered. Something is touched upon about the person's past, their sense of self, their fears, their anxieties, by which they have limited themselves to a status quo of what seems for them all they could manage. And by the end of the week, usually the person comes out transformed and they celebrate with important people in their life. And of course, all this happens in a made-for-TV character arc. In some ways, I feel like my role as summer intern with you, First Congregational Church of Glen Ellen, that I get to play something like the role of one of the fabulous five of Queer Eye. Of course, not in the sense that in these three months that I'm with you, I'm going to somehow upend everything and transform our style. I'm not going to, you know, suggest to the property committee some new colors to add, even as those carpets are going in as we speak. My role is more modest. I get to join you for this season, for this series, with fresh eyes, and most importantly, as a, another voice that gives witness to the freshness and the fabulousness of the gospel. And so, on Pride Sunday, for me to give witness to the gospel is to be honest about how I have experienced the gospel in my own life. And for me, I will say that my journey with pride has not been easy or simple. It took a lot of turns that I didn't expect or foresee. I had, for a long time, parts of my identity that I had heavily compartmentalized. 
I didn't have the fabulous five to come alongside me more than 10 years ago when I first came out of the closet and shared with people that I was gay. I didn't have the shape of a television crew and their made-for-TV arc of transformation that could make it a smooth and relatively straightforward transformation. I had some ideas of what I had to do and who I had to tell and how it might go. I had some kind of a list. I found that I had some people very personal, very close to me that I had to share and that in stepping into that new reality, what I thought and how I imagined it might go in the actual experience, it was far more emotional and more difficult than I could have ever imagined. And it, as I embraced the challenges of this new reality of stepping out and sharing with others that I was gay, I had alongside it many complexities of adult life and I had multiple things coming together with finances and managing my studies. And I moved back into my parents' basement as I hoped I could more easily manage there. I felt a spiral of shame that my life wasn't flowing on in the trajectory of career and success that I had thought it might. And as I was there in my parents' basement, I sought to gather myself and who I was and I started reading the Psalms, the prayer book of the Bible. I started reading them carefully one by one, and what I discovered in reading the book of the Bible, the Psalms, in their emotional rawness, in their laments, in their articulation of complaints toward God and of human sorrow, I found there was a companion for me to come alongside the truth of what I was feeling and experiencing that I wanted who I was as a gay man to come out of me, and I wanted it to come into the presence of God, and I wanted it to come back to the church, but I didn't know yet how that would happen. Our psalm today, Psalm 85, is a scripture that bears this voice of lament, but it also has persistence. It doesn't end with simply naming the human turmoil and the emotion, it goes on to insist on God's presence there. Let me hear what God will speak, for God will speak peace to God's people and faithfulness and steadfast love to those who turn to God in their hearts. That's what the word of the psalm gives us, a way of turning to God in our hearts and turning toward God in and through the very things that make us uncomfortable, giving us resilience the ability to move forward, the ability to find our own voice alongside the companion of the psalmist, crying out for a future we cannot yet see. With faith, with faith in the redeeming God of Israel, there is lament and there is resilience that seeks for and longs for a new reality to come into being. The God of Israel, our companion, coming alongside our queer eye, coming into the rooms of our hearts that we have kept shut. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ, our rock in the desert, the tomb sprung open, the closet flung wide, not limited to the character pattern arc of a TV episode, but present in our hardest moments, the moments we can't bear to bring public, we can't bear to face ourselves. 
the God who is faithful there, who draws us up into steadfast and resilient love, whose timeline is today and eternity. When I read Psalm 85, more than a decade ago, I was living in my parents' basement, as I said, and I wasn't sure how to make sense of my life with coming out of the closet as a gay man. And I read in this vision of God's attributes at the end of our psalm today, where it speaks of steadfast love and faithfulness meeting, and righteousness and peace kissing, and that up from the ground will spring the, the presence of God and down will come blessings from the sky. And in my imagination, it spoke to me that perhaps there was what I was longing to hear, the possibility of something like a queer, a gay marriage, that in these attributes of steadfast love and faithfulness, there is no limitation put upon them to gender. And of course, the writers of the Bible, the faithful passers down of the liturgies of the Hebrew people, they would not have imagined that possibility. But by the Holy Spirit, by God's queer eye, imagining new possibilities for us and for me, I thought it could somehow become possible. And I admit that it was a long journey still. It took me about 10 years of going across the world and back to Chicago. It took many conversations and many nights of prayer and many risks of telling more people and returning to church and opening up myself to others and the pain of whether they would reject or embrace, but continuing on in steadfast love to bear witness to the God of redemption and of faithfulness in Jesus Christ. And that journey took me at last to Chicago, and three years ago, at Midway Airport, my parents came down the stairs and took a bus across the city to the Lutheran School of Theology at Chicago. And there, at my apartment, they met my boyfriend in a possibility I had never imagined could happen. And here they met, and faithfulness and steadfast love embraced, and righteousness and peace kissed. It was more than what anything I, on my list I could have written down of how it might have gone, but that was the flow that happened in faithfully persisting with the promise of God's future. And so I say to this to you, wherever you are in your journey, however you have written the list of what you think and what you believe and what you feel, you must manage to stay in what you know. To stay, whether it is in your relationships with your family or with your loved ones or with your work, the God of steadfast love and of faithfulness is calling you through your struggle and through your feelings to where God has a future for you. It may be with reconciling with a family member. It may be embracing a new possibility about your identity. It may be stepping into a place you never thought you could return. The God of steadfast love and faithfulness invites you into a future where you can risk stepping out and embracing the changes that are happening and trusting in the God of redemption, whose faithfulness and steadfast love will meet you on the path and embrace you in a kiss.